volunteers that are willing to teach them. So if you're a kid and you're in Kid Zone, you're welcome to head out and enjoy Kid Zone. So thank you. Thank you, Kent, for bringing that over here. I've been looking forward to starting this series with you for years. Really, I have been looking forward to this series for years, and um, we've been building towards it. As last year, we did Matthew 1 through 4, and here we are in Matthew 1 through 5. And i got to ask this question before we jump into the text, and that is this. Are you happy? The people that you love, are they happy? Here's, here's two observations I have. The first one is that eventually we all do what we really believe will make us happy. So if you really believe going off your diet will make you happy, eventually you will go off your diet. If you really believe going off your budget and buying something you can't afford will make you happy, eventually you'll go off your budget and buy something you can't afford. If you really believe having an affair will make you happy, eventually, I've seen it over and over, you'll have the affair. Eventually people do what they really believe will make them happy. That's why when we talk about happiness, it is really, really a serious matter. Really important to get happiness right. Second observation. We all know that something needs to change in order for us to be happy. This is deep inside us. We're all a little unhappy. We're all kind of discontent. We all have this level of frustration because we know something's wrong and something needs to change. And a lot of times what we do, because something needs to change, we look out there and say, out there is the problem. If only that would change, I could be happy. If only she would change, then I could be happy. If only my kids would behave, then I could be happy. If only my parents had fewer rules, then I could be happy. We look out there and point at them and say, well, if that changed, then, then I'd be happy. Blaise Pascal wrote this many years ago. Maybe you've seen this quote before. He wrote, all men, people, this is before it was politically correct to say people, all men seek happiness. that true? You're like, I don't. Okay, well, let's just finish the thought. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend toward this end. I mean, he is talking universal, universal, universal. He's including everybody. Everybody is on a happiness quest. Everybody without exception. That is a bold statement. Test it, though. Whatever different means they use, they all tend toward this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both to be happy. So he's saying, look, some people signed up to fight the Revolutionary War because they believed that they had to fight in order to be free. In order to be happy, they needed to be free. So they decided to fight. Other people decided 
not to fight because they thought happiness was best achieved through pacifism. But both, they had different means, but both had the same desire to be happy. Some people spend money to be happy. Some people save money to be happy. But they both want to be happy. Some people eat cake to be happy. Some people eat carrots to be happy. Some people eat carrot cake to be happy. But everybody (laughs) wants to be happy. Like this is what we all want. This is the motive of every action of a person. To be happy. Everything you do. You get up and go to work in the morning because you think long term This is how to be happy. If I don't go to work, I'll lose my job, and if I lose my job, I'll... Right? So, even if I have to think long-term about it, I'm making every decision I make because I think this is what will make me happy. This is the motive of every action of man, even those who hang themselves. Because they think, this is the happiest choice I have left. That's a lie from the pit of hell, but that's what they believe. So it's really important that we look at what Jesus said about happiness. It's really important that you get this right. If this directs, I mean, if Blaise Pascal is even kind of right, if this directs every choice that you make, let's see what Jesus had to say about it. Before we do that, let me pray. Lord, I ask you'd stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. That you'd talk over me while I talk to them. Do this for your glory and our good and the sake of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So disciples, these are people that are interested in learning how to do life from Jesus. They had different levels of commitment. They weren't all the apostles who had left everything to follow Jesus. Some of them were just interested in seeing what Jesus had to say. And we know this from the content of the Sermon on the Mount, where, but I keep saying that. What I mean is Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. That is the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, 5 through 7. Where he pleads with people to enter the kingdom of heaven. So I don't think, I don't think that everyone who was called a disciple was fully committed yet. Some of them were in the discovery process. At least not everyone who is listening was fully committed yet. Like some of you might not be fully committed, but you're here and you're curious. Welcome. So, Jesus goes up on the mountain. He sits down. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed. And that word, blessed, means happy. It means These are the people that you would congratulate for living life right. These are the people who are living the best way it is possible to live. These are the people that God approves of. 
blessed, ready for this? When you think of who, when you think of blessed, who do you think of? I bet not the people that Jesus is going to say next. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the way I would put that is, blessed are the empty-handed. These are the people who know they have nothing to offer God. These are the people who are at the end of the rope. These are the people who are spiritually poor. These are the people that are, that have, they're not holding up their trophies to God and saying, look how wonderful I am. Look how I have everything together. Look how perfect my kids are. Look how perfect my marriage is. These, these people are not doing that. These people are saying, God, I have nothing. I have empty hands. I need help. I need your help, and I need it right now. These are empty-handed people. You see these, you know, there's a list of people that feel this way in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. So as Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria, they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. These are not the people that you look at and go, wow, they hashtag, hashtag blessed, oppressed by a demon, you know. These are people that are broken and know they need God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is what God is setting right in the world. We'll see this theme throughout these next three chapters and really from now until nearly Easter as we work through the Sermon on the Mount part by part. We'll develop more of the idea of what it means, what the kingdom of heaven means. But for right now, just have this idea, it's what God is fixing. It's what God is making right in the broken world. This is why those that are broken and oppressed by demons and the paralytics, the people that are hurting and suffering, they come to Jesus and he heals them and he says, this is what it's like when I fix stuff. And this is for you. So here's Here's, here's what I want to press into, though, this morning as we build the foundation for the next eight weeks. This is what I want to press into this morning. This word blessed that we're going to see again and again and again. I mean, if you have a, a Bible on the screen in front of you, if you're holding a paper version, what you'll see is verse 3, blessed. Verse 4, blessed. Verse 5, blessed. Verse 6, blessed. Verse 7, blessed. Verse 8, blessed. Verse 9, blessed. Verse 10, blessed. Verse 11, blessed. This is what I want to press in as, as we build this foundation. This word blessed means has to include happy. That Jesus wants you to be happy. Now here's what I know. I know some of you are pushing back on that and going, no, he doesn't. Happiness is for puppies and clowns and people of the other political party. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be serious. Jesus doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be obedient. Jesus doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to suffer. Let me ask you this. If you had kids, 
Some of you had kids, some of you don't. If you have kids, or if you have kids someday, if you had kids, would you want them to be happy? Look at me. Do you think God wants less for you than you want for your kids? Do you? Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids. Do you think God in heaven doesn't know how to give good gifts to you? Do you think he's less interested in your happiness than you are in your kids' happiness? Now, he has different ideas about what will make you happy than you have sometimes. Kind of like when a parent knows their one-and-a-half-year-old needs a nap. The parent knows, in order for this kid to be happy, he needs a nap. I say he because we have four boys. You know, like he needs a nap and he needs it bad. Does the kid believe that he needs a nap? No, that's the worst thing in the world. He'd rather do anything but take a nap. Anything. So we have different ideas than God. And there's at least that much difference between us and God. God's at least that much smarter than we are. Is us and a one and a half year old. But Jesus wants you to be happy. Now, I know you still don't disagree. I know, I know you still don't agree with me, or at least there's some of you that really disagree with this and you're really pushing back, going, I just don't think that's true. Well, let me let me offer you this. If you don't believe God wants you to be happy, eventually you'll end up listening to the snake's lies about happiness. Isn't it like we believe in Genesis 1, God created a good heavens and a good earth. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates this beautiful, spectacular garden, puts the man and the woman in it. There they are with everything they need to be happy. And the snake comes to them and says, how can you be happy if you can't have the only thing that you can't have? How can you be happy without the knowledge of the good? How can you be happy without that? And the woman's like, you know, I think you're right. I think I need that in order to be happy. Because she doubted God's goodness. She doubted that God really did have her best interest in mind. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you don't think that God has your best interest in mind and really does want you to live a good, full life, if you really don't believe that, you'll end up listening to Satan's lies. You'll imperil yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. He said, happiness is the great question confronting mankind. Who knows how to be happy? Where does happiness come from? How do you get happy? Am I happy? What would it take to make me happy? It's the great question confronting mankind. The whole world is longing for happiness. And the whole world is... And it's tragic to observe the ways in which people are seeking it. Have you seen somebody like press the self-destruct button saying, I just think God wants me to be happy. And they press the self-destruct button with a choice they make, and they destroy their family with a choice they make, and they destroy their lives with a choice they make, saying, I just think God wants me to be happy. I just want to be happy. I've lived my life for other people. That's dumb. Now I want to be happy. 
People are wrecking their lives trying to be happy. He says, the vast majority, alas, are doing so, seeking happy in a way that is bound to produce misery. Turns out that when people say, I just want to be happy, a lot of times it's just an excuse to be selfish. And it ends up tragic. So the question is, will you follow your heart to be happy? Is that the best authority on happiness? Is Oprah the best authority on happiness? Are the memes on social media that you scroll, are they the best authority on happiness? Or is Jesus the best authority on happiness? Here's what we've said. We've said Jesus wants you to be happy. Okay? Now, my guess is maybe a third of you came in disagreeing with that statement. And a third of you are going to come in disagreeing with this next statement that I put up there. And maybe a third just have no idea and don't care. But, but maybe if there's a third of you going, I don't think God wants me to be happy. I think he wants me to be. Let me just offer this to you. Because I'm just coming back to this idea again because it's so important. I was at a pastor's um, retreat where these people were pouring life and love into us. And one of them said at one point, God, I was tired and not ready. He said, God only wills your good. I remember thinking, that's not true. I don't believe that. What if it's true? What if God really does want you to be happy? There's some of us that come in pushing against that idea. There's others that are going to push against this next idea because we're like, well, of course he wants us to be happy. That's why we should follow our hearts and that's why we should do whatever we want to do. See, here's the thing. Jesus wants you to be happy, but he has a plan for that happiness. There is a way that we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount that is that happiness. I'd qualify it like this. Jesus wants you to be happy, and he wants you to be happy on his terms. And his terms are spelled out very clearly. In this book, they're spelled out very clearly. And in these three chapters in particular, they're spelled out very clearly. Now, if you want a summary... Of these three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, you look up at Matthew chapter 4. This is what I'll do. Matthew chapter 4, we read the terms. So this is, this is the summary statement of the Sermon on the Mount. Like, it, it helps us to understand all of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 through 7 if we've read Matthew chapter 4, it turns out. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 reads, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if I'm going to draw a picture of repentance, I draw that. It means a U-turn. You're going to make a U-turn. You were living your way. You were living on your plan for life. And now you make a U-turn and you follow Jesus' plan. You, now you give him your life of obedience. You say, you saved me, so my life is yours. I am all yours. I'll obey you in everything. Do this because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, have you heard kingdom of heaven before? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes end with, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a unifying theme of the book. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, if I was going to draw a picture of the Beatitudes for you, this is how I would draw it. It begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then it moves to, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Then, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Then, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Then, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what I want you to see here is that this is a process, and these are interrelated. So once you empty yourself of yourself, you're ready to actually make peace. And you can't make peace with other people while you're full of yourself. You can't make peace while you're not pure either. So blessed are the pure... But you're ready to be pure once you've mourned your sin. You're ready to be merciful once you stop selfishly grabbing. And the turning point is hungering and thirsting after righteousness and being satisfied with it. Once you are, you're ready to be merciful, you're ready to be pure, you're ready to be a person maker, and finally, you're ready to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. They are all related. Now, believe me, we're going to come back to this idea over the next several weeks. But you'll just, I want you to have the idea up front what is the first step in this process? Blessed are those who don't think they know everything. Blessed are those who don't have all the answers. Blessed are those who are not full of their own self-righteousness. Blessed are those who know that they are empty and have nothing to offer God because those are the people that are ready to change. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, how many of you have tried to teach someone something when they already knew everything? You can't teach someone something that thinks they know everything and that they're smarter than you. You can't. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How many of you have tried to teach someone something that, that, that they were just unwilling to learn and they kept making excuses? You can't teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they don't know and are ready for help. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is what the Beatitudes look like. So, Jesus wants you to be happy. He does. And this is on his terms. He is Lord after all. He is king of the kingdom after all. And if you don't like him being king, then you won't like the kingdom of heaven. So, what should we do? What's the first step? What's the first step? The first step is blessing. This is like a door that's opening to the rest of Jesus' teaching here. It's like this door opens, and Jesus says, hey, it's happy in here. Come on in. Come on in. You'll be happy if you come in. But here's the entrance. Got to be poor. 
Got to know you don't have all the answers. Got to empty yourself of your self-righteousness. Got to give up. Got to say what we sang, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Got to say, I, I have to lean on Christ for everything because I have nothing. And so, I try to summarize this, put this in my own words by saying, empty your hands. So empty your hands. Empty your hands. This is the first step. And if you're like beat up and have given up and are discouraged and are full of guilt and are itchy with conviction, then this is such good news because your hands are already empty. You're going, I don't even think I should be here. This is, I just don't even fit. I don't feel right. This is perfect for you. You're exactly the kind of people who are ready to be blessed. But if your hands aren't empty yet, then you'll probably have to empty them. The emptying of them of self-righteousness. So, so if you just visually, if you think of, think of like self-righteousness, like I'm all that, like I got this, like I've gone to church all my life. In fact, I came from the old building. Ten of you got that joke. I can't, you know, like I, I've been tithing all my life. You know, I, I still have my Bible from when I was in Sunday school back in the day. Like I, I, self, I got all this. I'm good. Well, you're going to have to get rid of that. You're not ready to learn yet. You have to empty yourself of blame. So if this is self-righteousness, blame is like, it's not my fault, but he, but she, but they, but it. You're not ready to enter yet. Empty your hands. You know, the other one, the other one I call speculation. You get a bunch of old distance runners together, a lot of times they speculate. You know, how fast could I have gone if I didn't have to work and go to school? You know, how fast could I have gone if I would have really given myself to it? How fast could I have gone if this, if that, if the other? And I think a lot of times we are not ready to repent. We're not ready to give ourselves to God because we still think, well, I could do it if I really gave myself to it. You know, I could give up trash on the internet if I really gave myself, if I really tried. I could stop lying if I really committed myself to it. I could forgive if I knew I really had to and I really tried hard. Then try. Try as hard as you can. And when you come to the end of yourself, then you'll be ready for him to bless you. Then you'll understand the end of the book. When Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and offers us new and eternal life. But first, first try as hard as you can. Because you won't be ready while you have your doubts. Colin Smith writes, God can use brutal circumstances in your life 
And I know, I know we have brutal circumstances. I know the stuff I know, and I know there's stuff that I don't know. I know there are brutal circumstances in life. God can use brutal circumstances in your life to bring you to a place of being spiritually poor, of emptying your hands. Okay, let go of it. Please, you know, like, please let go of it. When you find yourself saying, I don't have what it takes to face this, God says to you, All right, now you're ready. I will dwell with you here. When you feel overwhelmed with the power of temptation, God can use the intensity of your struggle to shatter your pride and make you poor in spirit. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's been a brutal a brutal season and it's been overwhelming and overpowering temptation and it's time for you to go, God, my hands are empty, so please fill them with your righteousness. Please help me. Here's what I'm saying. And if that should happen, the battle that brought you to the brink of despair can be the means of bringing you to a new place of blessing. Here's the point. Jesus wants you to be happy. But he wants you to be happy on his terms because his terms are the only ones that will work. Everything else will lead to misery and frustration and itchy despair. So empty your hands and submit to the process. How often, how often do we try to help people who will not submit to the process? Because their hands are not empty. Because they still think, they're, they, still think they know everything. Submit to the process. Like, here's, here's my suggestion. My suggestion would be that you come to church you know, just show up. Show up and learn. Show up and participate. Show up and talk to people about this. Show up and read this text for yourself. So here we are in Matthew chapter 5, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, like, read it. Read it out loud. Read it a couple, I mean, you can read it more than once before you master it. It's okay to read it more than once. Read it again and again. This is the, this is, you, you can't beat this source material. This is Jesus, Je, Jesus' longest teaching that we have recorded. This is Matthew chapter 5. Show up, read it, put it into practice. And above all, ask Father for help. He wants to help. So I started with two observations. First, first, everybody does what they really believe will make them happy. And my question is, do you think Jesus wants you to be happy? Do you think Jesus knows accurately what will make you happy? Or do you think there's a better way? 
I'm pretty sure there's a better path. This, is, this would be a thing to work through this week. Is Jesus the authority on this issue, or is there somebody with more authority on this, on this issue? And second, if we all know something needs to change, maybe it's time to ask God to change us. To lift our empty hands towards him and say, God, I need help. Please help. Forgive my sins. Wash them clean. Raise me to newness of life but help. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would come to the place where we give up and we look up to you and say help. Lord, I pray that you would wash our sins away, that you would assure us that you love us, that you would lead us into deep and eternal and lasting and unshakable happiness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.